When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ahmed Bader's story as a refugee started when a bomb tore through his family's home in Iraq. He was only eight years old. Immediately after that happened, he and his family moved from Baghdad, Iraq, to Aleppo, Syria, and then to the coast of Syria in Jabala. And that's where they applied for refugee status. And the United States granted them refugee status, and they hopped on a plane to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Ahmed now lives in Connecticut, where he's an 18-year-old college student and the founder of Narratio, a platform for creative expression that seeks to create empathy and alleviate childhood illiteracy by empowering youth through the publishing of poetry, photography, art, and narrative. Ahmed is a talented published writer, a photographer, and a poet himself. And his work and his story have been featured all over the internet. You might have seen it on the Instagram blog or HuffPost or Adobe. It's all over the place. It's incredible. That's how I first found out about Ahmed. I was just reading an article and I, I, I was so drawn to this guy's story and his ability to communicate his story in order to create empathy and understanding. Ahmed has incredibly keen insight into the power of storytelling And he speaks on how the power and beauty of personal storytelling is that it is not divisive. It's unassuming, and it has the power to change attitudes and narrow perspectives. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. This is a weekly podcast where I sit down and host hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the unique experiences that drive them to use their influence for good. I absolutely love this conversation that Ahmed and I got to have about his story and his work and the impact that he wants to have on the world. And I think you're going to love it. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into the show. You've made a huge splash in your years. Tell me a little bit about Naratio and, and what you've been up to. Yeah, so uh, I think to tell you about Naratio, I'd have to tell you start kind of from the beginning and tell you a little bit about my, about my story. Yeah. That's okay. So, and I was born in Iraq in uh, 1998, and uh, I was there until uh, 2006. So, on July 25th, 2006, it was the first night I spent away from home. Uh, I thought I was the, lo- uh, the coolest little kid, eight <laughs> years old. I thought, you know, I, I'm 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 independent now, so I get to stay away from home. So I stayed at my grandparents, and uh, the the next day, my dad came to pick me up. And you know when you can just immediately tell that there's something off. Uh, it's like your an parents. energy. Yeah, it's an energy. It's a look. It's just a a feeling. It's it's just there's something off that you immediately sense. But I didn't really want to say anything, so I just kind of just stayed silent. And then on our way uh, home, 
I summoned up my courage and asked uh, my dad. I asked him, you know, Baba, what's what's wrong? And he took one of those, you know, deep parental breaths, and uh, he said, Ahmed, our house was bombed last night. And as a kid, you don't really know what that means, right? Your world is so limited. You eat, you play, you go to sleep, and you just kind of do that over and over again. So we got home, and I saw for myself what had happened. I saw the destruction. I saw, you know, the the path of the bomb. It entered through the bathroom window and pretty much split the house in half. And my parents and my little my little sister, who was uh, three years old at the time uh, were in the house when it happened and it it missed the, the path of the bomb missed them by about three feet what um, on each side. wow i didn't really understand this as a kid i didn't know the gravity of everything and maybe like three four years afterwards um i realized that the bomb had entered through uh, three natural gas canisters you know those old ones uh people use for cooking yeah uh, and it entered through each one. There's a hole, like a th- two foot hole through each one. And I didn't realize it until three or four years after that my dad had emptied them out a couple weeks before. So to think about like, what if, what if he hadn't done that? It's, it's a crazy thought. And then there's a, I spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what would have happened if I wasn't at my grandparents' home? And, you know, if I was home, where exactly would I be in relation to that? that experience um do you feel like that's all etched in your memory you know because i don't remember a ton from when i was eight years old but i can imagine that like that moment was so defining that it stuck with you do you do you kind of have like an actual tangible memory of it or is some of it kind of more your parents telling you things i think it's very tangible there's very few things uh, there are very few things that are um, as tangible as something like that. Mm-hmm. About two, three years ago now, I started writing about all of these things and it, it turned into a memoir about my family's journey to America. And as you're trying to remember all these things, you almost have to play this game with yourself and that, oh, is, did this actually happen or is my memory just, you know, playing games with me? But that's one of the things that is very, very, very vivid. And yeah, I don't know whether it's, it's, it has to deal with the severity of it um, or the kind of the grand fashion in which it happened. But it's one of the things that are really, really, really vivid in my mind and in my memory. Man. And obviously that kind of thing happening is going to alter the trajectory of your life. I would imagine that you didn't stay in your home that night. What did you guys do next? So we started packing up uh, our things, and about a week later, we moved to Syria. We moved to Aleppo, and we had cousins there. And at the time, you know, Aleppo was much safer than it is now, sadly. Yeah, most people are making the opposite migration right now. Exactly, exactly. Um, and we had, my uncle was had been living in Aleppo for a couple of years, so we moved in with him and his family, and uh, we stayed in Aleppo, uh, Aleppo for about a year. And during the this year, I went back to school. Uh, I was in third grade now, and I started learning uh, English, a little bit of English. I, I In Syria, you start learning English in first grade, whereas in Iraq, you start learning it in high school. And I really struggled. English was my worst class. Um, I could not figure it out to save my life. And 
And so after about a year in Aleppo, we so we about two three months in, we moved to our own place. We moved out of my uncle's, and we, uh, you know, I started going to school, and school was across the street, but it wasn't always across the street. Before, uh, I always like to tell the story of uh, that really exemplifies kind of my my dad really showing me that I really can do whatever it is that I want and that he, he would always be there to support me. Um, and it was a story of uh, every day in the first couple months when we lived at my uncle's, I would have to walk to school, right? And and, and, and that road um, or that truck to school went through a very, very busy market. So my dad always walked with me because he was you know scared that I would get hurt or uh, it was a busy intersection, busy market. So he always walked with me to school. And every day I would ask him, I would petition dad, let me go alone. I need to do this alone. I'm, um, you know, at the time, what, nine? Uh, yeah, just turned nine. And like, I'm, you know, I'm nine now. I'm independent. I get to do whatever I want. I get to walk. And uh, he, every day he's like, nope, nope, I won't let you do it. It's too dangerous. And then one day he just goes, all right, go, go ahead. And I had to kind of clean my ears. I was like, wait, what? Say that again? Are, are you sure? Are you just saying that? And he's like, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. You're you're old now, right? You're nine years old. Go go for it. So I walk to school, and all is well. I come back, and I'm like, see, I, I did it alone. And he's like, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, that's fair. And then fast forward like six, seven years later, I'm writing the memoir, and I write about that story, and I'm like, I thank my dad. And I ask, I tell him, you know, thank you for that. That in that moment, I realized that, you know. I can do things on my own, even though, you know, maybe you didn't think so at the time, but like, thank you for giving me the, that opportunity to be able to experience my, something alone and to, uh, and to kind of build up that confidence. And, uh, he kind of just takes, uh, he just laughs. He goes, dude, I was behind you the whole time. <laughs> and, and so I, I think our time in Aleppo was, uh, is exemplified by experiences like that, where we really enjoyed our time there. And the people were absolutely incredible, and, and a lot of growth happened. So we stayed in Aleppo for a year and then moved uh, to the coast of Syria in a small town called Jabla. And we stayed in Jabla for uh, another year. And it was during this time that we decided to uh, apply for um, uh, refugee status with the UN. So how that happened was we would go back and forth and visit Iraq and, and Syria just to visit family. And uh, at the time, my parents were on paid leave. They were civil engineers in Iraq for 22 years. And this paid leave was running out, and they had to make a decision. Uh, they told them, if you don't come back to Iraq, or this, you know, this paid leave is going to end. We won't, be able to, we won't be able to continue paying you. And so they had to make that choice. Do we stay in Syria and be safe and struggle financially? At the time, Syrian economy wasn't the best. Or do we go back to Iraq, be okay financially, but risk that safety that Syria provided? So they had to make a decision. And then on one of these uh, bus drives to back to Baghdad, my dad was talking to a bus driver. And the driver told him about this UN program um, that would take, uh, at the time, 1% of everyone that applied. And, uh, you know, my dad thought, we really don't have anything to lose. And he applied. Uh, about six months to a year later, we got a phone call, and uh, they said, you have four one-way tickets to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> and uh, and so we moved to, to Sioux Falls and spent a year there. 
and then my parents went back to school and we moved again to a small town in, in Sioux Falls, I mean, in South Dakota. What was it like when you first got to Sioux Falls? Very cold. Man, it was just, it was absolutely incredible. I, I really, I mean, going into it, I didn't really, I had a very uh, different perception of America. I thought, I, I mean, my only perception was uh, from like action movies. And so, I mean, when my mom told me that we were moving to America and uh, when we were in Jebla, I literally thought that America was just in a different neighborhood. Really? Um, I was, yeah, I thought it was just a, it's a cab drive away, but apparently it wasn't. So that was <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it took us four, four plane rides to finally get to the U.S. Um, or finally get to Sioux Falls. We went from Damascus to Budapest, Budapest to New York City, and then New York City to Chicago, and then Chicago to to South Dakota. And I think, yeah, I was first disappointed because not everyone looked like Bruce Willis, but um, <laughs> you know, eventually got you know it wasn't easy to adjust, but eventually, you know, we stayed in South Dakota for about four years, and. Then we moved down to Houston, which is where my family lives now in 2012. And it was here in Houston that I really started to begin to express this identity, this dual identity that was starting to form. It was a family friend that told me, hey, maybe you should start writing about these experiences, this experience of, you know, being Iraqi, but also having this American side. And this duality really started to to show itself. And I realized that by writing about it, it was uh, it was something that was incredibly, incredibly empowering. And in sophomore year of high school, I started this small, small website um, called Mesopotamia, where I started putting up my poetry and my art and my photography. And then all of a sudden, people were, were messaging me about it. They're saying, oh my God, this is I like your poem. I like this picture. This is really good. And uh, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. I didn't even think that was possible. And so with that in mind, you know, I started writing more and more about my story, trying to find different ways to express it, you know, just to understand myself. I was, you know, ultimately on a very foundational level, it was an attempt to understand this duality that was almost contradictory at times. Yeah, let's let's break that down a little bit more because there really is a dichotomy between being an Iraqi and being an American, especially, I don't know, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know specifically where the bomb that went through your house came from or anything, but there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, American forces were in the United States. I'm sure that there was something at least related about that and you having to leave your home. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, in a bigger scale, just the, the Iraq war uh, is pretty much the reason that I'm here. Um, my family's here. I mean, among others, it's not the main one, but it's just a lot to kind of unpack and try to understand because, you know, if it wasn't for that bomb, a lot of the things that ended up happening later on wouldn't have happened. So in a way I'm, um, I I recently wrote a poem from the perspective of the bomb. It was really interesting to try and do that because I had to make sure that I personified the bomb in the best way that I wanted and that I wasn't, you know, cutting it any slack. But also, I just, there was this, this, uh, this feeling of, uh, not justification, but this feeling that 
it's it's just I can send it to you. It's just a, it's it's a very it was a very it's very tough tough thing to write because I wanted to make sure that I I got it right and that I wasn't you know I wasn't giving the bomb away out. But I think the main thing that I got out of it was that as weird as it sounds, I appreciate the bomb now. Like I realize now how that it, you know it's given me a gift and it's given me a calling. Um, and and that calling is to you know provide space for people of, of my experience and, and people with experiences different than mine to share their stories. And that's kind of how Narratio was born. Narratio was born out of this um, uh, realization that, okay, well, here's a small website that was interesting and that was fun, but that was just for myself. So why don't I take that and then turn it into something that can benefit other people and that allows other people to express themselves all over the world. So with that, that's kind of how Narratio was born. So now uh, two, two years old or so. We started in January of my junior year of high school. And since then, you know, it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit and it's, con- uh, it's continuing to grow. We've published a little over 60 posts now from uh, 12 countries, 13 countries. And we were featured on Instagram in September. And, and since then, we, you know, submissions have really, really shot up and we're, we're trying to find a way to scale up right now. So basically, what Narratio is, it's it's an online platform for youth empowerment through creative expression. So what we do is we publish poetry, art, photography, and stories of youth from all over the world, and then turn those published sub- submissions into booklets. And we use these booklets in storytelling workshops across the United States. So that's the the basic um, that's the basic idea behind it. And what's the uh, like? What has it been like for you taking on this project? You know, like what has been the transformational power of creating this and bringing other people into this for you specifically? I think it's been incredibly empowering for myself uh, and, and incredibly validating as well. I think ultimately I am appreciative and extremely appreciative and grateful to all the attention that my story has gotten, but I don't want it. I don't want that attention to just start and end. And, and just exist as something, oh, here's this guy, he has the story, okay, listen to his story, and that's it. I don't want it to end that way. I want people to hear my story and be encouraged to tell their own. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't um, you know, no matter how fun and, and uh, no matter how much I, I like the attention, I don't want it to just exist as that. Like, I don't want it to just be, I don't want it to just stand alone. I want it to be able to connect with people in a very deep way. And I think Narratio does a great job of that in that it's, it's, it's just a space for people to create and to express themselves in whichever way they feel is needed. And that's for, in my experience, that's been something that's helped me understand my identity and my identities. Um, and, and it's helped me understand myself and, 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 and definitely those around me. Uh, so I think it's, the project is very much a, it's a testament to, to the power of storytelling in my life and the power mm. of storytelling uh, across the world. What kind of person is sharing their story on Narratio? Or, or, or maybe more so, you know, what do you want it to be used for? Like, who do you want it to be used for? I think I don't want to restrict that by saying, oh, the type of person that should submit to Narratio is, you know young and has a story to tell who has overcome struggle. I don't want it to restrict it to that. But ultimately, I think, you know, 
I want it to be a space that kind of curates itself, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's doing that already. I think uh, a lot of our, our submissions are from youth that, you know, really haven't had the space to tell their story and to express themselves. So we have, you know, poems about identity. One of the poems up on the site right now is called uh, Palm Trees and Jordan Almonds. It is written by this incredible, incredible poet um, that lives in Houston. Uh, her name is Mayel Amari. And she does an amazing, amazing job of kind of trying to dissect um, her dual identities. So you have something like that. And then you have, you know, uh, photography submissions from India um, that you know, showcase the beauty of different exhibitions and different, different stories from the, the artist's own specific culture. And then you have, uh, we have Marcelo Villasenor who uh, takes pictures and makes drawings on top of them, you know, in order to kind of express himself in his own way. So you have this community that is, is it's united by its differences as much as it is by its similarities. And I think that's, and I think that's the that's the beauty of the whole project, and that's the beauty of um, of the work, you know, that I hope to do, and that I hope to continue doing. I read this quote from you where you said, "I realized that by telling individuals about my past experiences, my culture, and what I stood for, I paved the way for the destruction of stereotypes, flawed perspectives, and hateful attitudes." Tell me about learning the power of storytelling. I think it started in middle school where, you know, this is in South Dakota where I had, you know, friends coming up to me and, and, you know, maybe making jokes that, you know, related to the Iraqi experience or the Muslim experience in America. And they would ask questions like just ridiculous stuff like, oh, is, is Osama bin Laden your cousin? Um, and, you know, when you hear these questions and, and, and others, it's, it's very easy to get angry. It's very easy to, to denounce and it's very easy to really fight back and be defensive. And, you know, there is a, a place and time for that. But I realized that for me, you know, if I answered those questions with, with understanding and if I answered those questions in a way that was conducive to mutual understanding and, 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 and cooperation, then those attitudes will, will end up shifting. Um, I think the beauty of, of telling that story uh, and just telling your story, it's is that it's very unassuming, and no one's gonna come in and say, "Hey, your story is invalid." And 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 I think the beauty of stories, especially personal ones, is that it's very hard for a personal story to, to be divisive. I think uh, someone just sharing their own experiences, you know. And and you know, I realized in middle school that just by befriending the people that may be ignorant of my culture just just that simple act of existing in their presence was shifting their attitudes and it, it, it can be a thing that's um as direct as it can be indirect uh, and i realized that over time these attitudes were shifting simply because i was just being myself around these people i wasn't you know preaching around school saying hey uh you know, this is who I am and this is who you think I should be. It was just me existing and just being a normal student uh, and a normal human being. And uh, that really was, uh, con again, conducive to that mutual understanding and to that cooperation. When do you feel like you realized that 
other people were interested in your story. You know, like I would imagine, I don't, did you feel guarded at one point and then you had a moment where you're like, oh, people, people are curious. I think it, it was right when I started writing the memoir. Um, because before that, I, mean, I, didn't really, I didn't really think that my story was any different from anyone else. And then the family friend that told me, hey, maybe you should start writing about this. Then I started realizing that this story has the power to really change attitudes. And it has the power to change attitudes again because it's not assuming anything, because it's not divisive. It's simply offering a perspective uh, and, and offering something different. So I think definitely after sophomore year, sophomore summer I was invited to this journalism conference in, in Washington it was the first time that I was really traveling um, out of state that wasn't you know obviously moving from South Dakota to Houston and being in Washington for that well, I think it was like five six days really just opened my mind um, to, to the world of possibilities that existed and I realized you know I, I remember I, I went all out I got business cards for Mesopotamia I got uh, you know, I was I was ready, and then and then you know, being surrounded by so many incredible people and hearing, um, you know, leading journalists share their stories and and, and share about, um, you know, how how they got to where they are now. I thought, you know, why why not me? Why can't I do that too? Armed with that attitude and and and, and that perspective, uh, I realized, you know, maybe maybe there's there's something here, and and. It's all, another part of it is this just incredible sense of responsibility that I that I feel I have towards uh, you know Iraq and and its people. Iraq has thirty six million people. Eighteen million of those are under nineteen. So that's a huge, huge demographic that I think is incredibly disenfranchised at the moment. Um, and I feel like with my experience and the opportunities I've been offered, it, it's it's an incredible responsibility that I feel that I you know I need to represent so to say for the people that you know don't have the opportunity to tell their stories um until you know hopefully i can give them the opportunity to do that what do you think that the future is for those millions and millions of like young iraqis like where what's your hope for the future you know based off of what you're doing uh but also you know what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you know to be true well, I think right now the future doesn't seem um, too bright because you, there's a, the education system in Iraq has really, really, really um, struggled since the war. And so you have this incredible demographic that is ready to do so many amazing things, but they just are they're not given the opportunities, um, whether it's you know the government or, or different you know systems and power that are in place that are not conducive to growth in any way. Uh, I think, you know, for the the work that I hope to do, I really hope to take Naratio to Iraq and 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 take it to um, kind of a global scale more than more than it is now, and try to empower that demographic um, through you know the power of storytelling and through the power of of creative expression. This summer, I'll be working for the the UN Migration Agency in New York, uh, hosting a podcast and and. Uh, I'm really, really excited. I'll be collecting uh, youth refugee stories across the U.S. and across the world, and I think you know that's that's a great first step to the empowerment of that demographic. And I hope that over time, I can you know just 
figure out a, a more effective way of doing it. But I think, you know, I, I really, really, really want to play a part in shaping that future and, and, and making sure that it's a positive one and just doing all I can to, to provide the opportunities that I've been provided to the people that, you know, I, I represent and the people that uh, I look up to and the people that, you know, may not have the same opportunities that I was afforded. I think that's really beautiful because I, I would imagine that there's a lot of people who, you know, they have an opportunity to move as a young child and, you know, they just, you know, jump into their new location. And and I think it'd be easy to forget about uh, where you came from and, and just, you know, focus on living your life now. But you're saying, hey, I want to bridge this gap. I want to be a part of where I came from and, and bring people through a similar experience to what I went through. Exactly, exactly. Man, tell me about, Tell me about your growth as an artist through the years, you know, like as a writer and as a poet, um, you know, how have you felt like you've just been growing creatively? Well, I, I think uh, I'm happy to announce that I, I'm, I'm better at English than I was in Syria. <laughs> I think uh, it's been really interesting. It's been really, um, I think through Narratio and through specifically my photography, I think, and my writing from high school to, to now, I think, especially sophomore year of high school to now, I think my writing has grown more and more sophisticated and it still has, I mean, it still has a long, long way to go. But I think um, as the urgency for my story to be heard increased, um, the more I felt that I needed to um, improve my skills. And, and, and I think that comes with Again, I just want to put myself in the best possible position to express myself in any given moment, um, whether that be, you know, in conversations with people that may not agree with, you know, what I'm doing or what I stand for, um, to, you know, simply capturing a, an image that uh, speaks to people. So, you know, after after being featured on Instagram, there there comes a... It's very easy to become complacent, I think, after certain things. And I really want to make sure that you know I stay true to everything that I'm doing, no matter how much success comes my way or no matter how much success doesn't come my way. Uh, and I think, I think my art is going to continue growing as I find different ways of telling my story. You know, I don't want my work to be focused on my story. I, it's definitely an important part of it. Uh, but I think, uh, ultimately, ultimately, I really, really want to change what people think about when they hear the word refugee. Uh, and I really, I think with my art, I, I really hope to do that, uh, on a, you know, a very personal level. I think, I think what's wrong right now with, with the word, uh, or not with the word, but with the label is that when you think of the word refugee, you think of you know people fleeing war and you think of blood and violence. And I, th- I think that's an important part of the narrative, but that's not all of it. Uh, and that's usually where the story ends and, and uh, or where it starts and where it ends. And, and I really, really want to change that through, through my work with Narratio and through my own personal expression. Just a minute ago, you said that you, know, you want to... You know, you want to create this art despite the people who don't agree with what you're doing or what you stand for. And it, it in in so many ways, it surprises me that people would not agree with what you're doing. 
uh, once they get to know you. And I feel like there's like this weird gap between people thinking that they disagree with you, you know, because they're predisposed to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but like you said earlier, it's so interesting because I think people have a hard time disagreeing with your story, you know, once they get to know you, the disagreement, it seems like that goes out the window. Is that ultimately the goal is, is for people to kind of have their preconceptions challenged enough times by stories and, you know, stories on Naratio um, or wherever else that, that maybe their preconceptions were wrong. Is that kind of the direction that uh, you're pushing? I think so. I think so. I think you captured it beautifully. I think the unassuming nature of stories is so, so powerful. You know, I, I hope that, you know, through narratio and through the sharing of stories that those perceptions and those preconceptions are at the very least challenged. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think um, it's very hard to invalidate or denounce or disagree with um, someone's personal experiences and someone's story. Do you feel like, at least in the United States and maybe globally, people are living in an empathy deficit more than ever? Or is it just that the empathy deficit is directed towards refugees and people from the Middle East? Um, I don't think I don't think it's um the empathy deficit isn't unique to Middle Eastern people or the ref, uh, or refugees. I think it's a it is very much a universal thing, but I also I really don't think there is a empathy um, deficit per se. I think the world is just trying to keep up um, with this, the incredible amount of things that are happening all at once, um, and I think. Sometimes when we when we um, hear about you know different statements that are made by certain people, whether it's someone saying something that may be problematic or racist or whatever, I think it's it's oftentimes very easy to denounce those statements and just move on. But it's much harder to kind of dig beneath those statements and try to really understand where the other person's coming from. And I think inherently every single human being has that ability to uh, empathize with someone and try to understand where they're coming from. I think it's just, it's just a matter of activating that empathy in the right way. Um, and in a way that it's not divisive. So I think that, and I don't think it's so much of a deficit as, you know, something that is already existing, but that just needs to be activated a bit more. Tell me about like, your long-term plans. Where do you think that you're going to be in, you know, not too long-term because nobody knows that kind of thing, but like in 10 years, where do you, where do you kind of see yourself? Man, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I'm going to continue to do, you know, well, at least I hope to continue to do work that is related to storytelling and, and, and continue to tell the stories that are oftentimes ignored. Um, and, you know, in 10 years, you know, who knows? I, I, I really ultimately want to be um, the voice for youth refugees and just refugees in general, um, you know, in whichever way that becomes possible, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm open to. There isn't something specific in mind. Um, my parents ask me this question every time we have a phone call. Um, but 
you know, I think it's not something specific, but I definitely, definitely want to work in the realm of, of human connection in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I hope that whatever role I'm in or whatever job I'm, I'm working within really fulfills uh, my need to empower myself and, and those around me. Man, that is absolutely beautiful. I mean, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and using it as a tool to empower others. I'm so excited to see uh, what continues to happen. Oh, no, thank you very much, Brandon. I really appreciate it. Man, I loved getting to talk with Ahmed a lot because I'm a huge fan of the way that Ahmed is using his story and his experience and his incredible passions and talents for photography and writing and poetry to make a difference in the world, to create empathy, to create conversation, and to fight division. After the show, he and I talked for a little bit, and I just became even more impressed with the work that he's doing and the way that he's leveraging the opportunities that are coming his way. Like when Instagram did a big post about him, it drove a lot of attention to what he was doing and he was able to bring people into the fold. He was able to bring people uh, into the storytelling process. And I like that he didn't just kind of absorb all of that himself, but he kind of used that power and that platform he was given to to give a platform to more people, to give a platform to other people. I think that that's really cool. And I'm so excited to see what Ahmed does next, what his next kind of big uh, adventures are and, and the ways that he continues to uh, to share stories. I love this quote from him where he said, I realized that by telling individuals my past experiences, my culture and what I stood for, I paved the way for the destruction of stereotypes, flawed perspectives, and hateful attitudes. What an incredible thing. If you want to connect with Ahmed and follow along with what he's doing, and if you want to learn more about Narratio and read some incredible stories and see some of the incredible stories that are being shared on that platform, you should absolutely check it out. Uh, You can search for Ahmed Better on Instagram and Twitter, and you can visit narratio.org n-a-r-r-a-t-i-o dot org and really dive into the stories that are on that site if you liked this episode if you really connected with it please share it with a friend and if you like the show if you've been listening for a while now and you haven't yet go and leave the show a review on itunes it really helps people find the show it's really fun to read your comments what you have to say we love it go ahead and do it If you're looking for more good news throughout the week, and if you just want to get to know us a little bit more, you can check us out at goodgoodgood.co, and we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at at goodgoodgoodco. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation with an incredible person. Sound good?